All right, everybody, if you want to take a seat. My least favorite part, breaking up conversation. <laughs> There's a lot of us that just love to chat with people, which is a, which is a good problem. <laughs> it's not even a problem. I'm not even going to call it out. It's a good thing. <clears throat> so I would love to find out something about you guys. So this is going to be a show of hands. So show of hands. Are you a list person? Okay, okay. And those of you that proudly are like, I am absolutely not a list person. Okay, I knew there was some of you in here. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was totally thinking it was going to be half and half. It is definitely not half and half. We are majority list people in this room. I don't know what it is about checking something off my list. It feels so good. I love it. I love it. I don't care if it's an item at the grocery store where I'm like, it's in the cart, done. Or it's something on my to-do list that I'm like, clean the bathroom, done. Um, but I do, I do love a list. And if we were to say that there was a list season, which I don't think there is, but if we were to say that, I would say we've officially entered list season. Like, it probably started around Thanksgiving, but we're in a time right now where it's like people have a to-do list, a wish list, a grocery list. You know, even Santa has a list, and he's checking it twice. Guys, you know? So it is, it is a list time. Here's the thing about a list. It can tell you a lot about a person. It can tell you so many things about them. Like, we've drawn names in our family, my extended family, and Megan gave us this fancy app that my sister was so angry about because, you know, she's 52, so she is not interested in a new app by any means. But on it, you can add all your wish list items and the things people want. I was like, oh, who knew? Who knew they were into that? I had no idea. And even, you know, like what people put on their grocery list, like if someone has sardines on there, all right, didn't see that coming. So lists tell us things, and they show us things, and they explain things sometimes. And did you know even God has created an important list in the Bible. And it's found right at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's part of the Christmas story. But it's the part that we kind of like to skip over and leave out. And it's because... It's a list of names. It's a genealogy. How many of you have already started to go, oh my gosh, no. Crystal, please don't read that to me. <laughs> Charlie, yeah. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, we look at this sometimes, people do, and they go, who even cares? Who cares about this list of names? But you have to trust me when I say it's so much more than that. It's so much more than that. This list 
It is a testament of God's grace. It is a testament of his faithfulness and a testament of his divine plan for redemption of all mankind. Yeah. Matthew begins his gospel with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This opening statement alone is significant. It declares and establishes Jesus as the promised Messiah, the rightful heir to the throne of David and the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. That was a lot of words, but it packs a punch. The genealogy of Jesus includes a list of 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. It includes patriarchs, kings, and ordinary people. It includes both men and women, Jews and Gentiles. It includes people of tremendous faith and people who struggled every day of their life. It includes both the righteous and the sinful. This crazy list of people in Jesus' genealogy is nothing less than a testament of God's grace. And it shows that God can use anyone. Anyone. Despite their background, their failures, or their sins to fulfill his divine plan. It shows us that God's grace is not limited by us. People. The genealogy also includes four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, which is everything. It's everything. They were unlikely candidates to be in the lineage of the Messiah simply because they were women. But God, in his wisdom and grace, he included them. The genealogy of Jesus is a testament of God's faithfulness. He kept his promise to Abraham. He kept his promise to David. And he fulfilled his promise of a Messiah. The genealogy of Jesus is also a testament of God's divine plan for the redemption of mankind. You see, from the beginning, God had a plan. He chose Abraham to be the father of a nation. He chose David to be the king of his people. And he chose Jesus to be our savior. So as we focus on and dig into the genealogy of Jesus this Christmas season, I want to encourage us to let ourselves be reminded of God's grace of his faithfulness and his divine plan that includes you and me. That we too are a part of this story and that his incredible grace is for each and every person in this room. I'm going to pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? It doesn't matter if I'm the most incredible communicator on the earth or the absolute worst. It doesn't matter unless you move and open hearts. So would you open hearts and minds today as we dig into your word? And would you show us 
what that grace is and that faithfulness and would you light a fire within us down in our souls would you show us how much you love us each and every person would you show us that our name is on that list Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. So I ended that paragraph by saying, his incredible grace is for each of us. I don't know how many of you are super aware of your need for God's grace each and every day. Your need for a shepherd your need for a king, your need for a redeemer. What is a redeemer? You know, the image of redemption in the Old Testament is one of God rescuing his people from Egypt, pulling them out of bondage, literal bondage and slavery. And then in the New Testament, Jesus, the redeemer, rescues us from our natural state of being in bondage to sin, of serving ourselves in destructive ways. This reference, the salvation he accomplished, is based on the metaphor of redemption or buying back. In the New Testament, redemption can refer both to deliverance from sin and freedom from captivity. I sometimes, when I think of my story, I'm shocked by it. I'm shocked from where God has brought me from, from the literal pit of the life that I was living. So I think sometimes when I feel like I'm so separated from my need for a savior and a redeemer in my life, I purposely take myself back so I can look at my timeline and see how far Jesus has brought me. Because our lives are living testimonies. One story in particular I share with you today, and I'm not sharing you with you for the shock and awe <laughs> I'm sharing with you because sometimes we literally need to hear with shock and awe what Jesus has done in somebody's life. I refer to my time of college in California as the darkest place of my life. I was so far from the Lord and I was so alone literally, emotionally, mentally, and physically, because I was surrounded by people that claimed to be my friends, but they were far from anything that a friend would be. And I was so desperate to fit in and have relationship with people that I was such a follower, I would do anything that anybody else was doing, simply to go along with the crowd. So 
I went to college in Long Beach, and those of you that are from California, I know we've got quite a few of you in here. Um, there was a place called Second Street. Oh, how funny. Oh, my. Oh, Jesus. Whoa. Whoa. Wow. That gives whole new purpose to the word redemption. Wow. Wow. Anyway, it was full of bars and restaurants. And um, so we would go down, have some drinks, see a band, hang out. So one night, I went down there with a few people that really were on my list of better friends. And we had drinks, and we kept having drinks, and we kept having drinks. And I had not eaten anything that day. So everybody was talking about, oh, it's time to go. We'll go somewhere else. And um, I said, okay, I'll meet you outside by the side of the bar. And they said, okay, we'll grab the car. And I went outside and sat down because I couldn't stand up because I'd had so much to drink. And I passed out. And my friends never came. And I was passed out next to a building, and a car pulled up with a group of guys in it. And one of them got out and shook me and was like, hey, are you okay? What's happening? And I said, well, what, what time is it? My friends were supposed to pick me up. I found out what time it was. I was like, oh, they left me here. And for those of you that are really young, this was before cell phones. So he said, why don't you get in the car? We'll take care of you. I got in the car. I did. You guys, I got in the car. I have no doubt, looking back, these men were angels of the Lord. Like, literally, I have no doubt. They took me to their place. They gave me water. They gave me aspirin. They found out where I lived where my dorms were, they drove me to my dorm, they took me up to my room, made sure I got in, and made sure I was cared for. That could have gone a hundred different ways. But I will tell you right now, it was bad enough before I got in their car. I woke up that morning terrified about where my life was at. I was so keenly aware of my need, my sin, my pain. You guys, I needed someone to save me then, that night, that point in my life, not just physically, but spiritually. I was a hole inside. I was a young woman who needed a redeemer and a savior and a friend in the most desperate way. We're going to look at another young woman who was in a different type of a desperate need, but she still needed a savior and a redeemer. We're going to dig into the book of Ruth 
And the book of Ruth is a story about love. It's a story about loyalty and redemption. You see, what I want you to take away today is God is in the redeeming business. This is what he does because this is who he is. The book of Ruth is set in a time of judges when everyone who did what was right in their own eyes. I don't know if you've ever felt that way about the world today, but it's real. I'm going to start in chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife, and two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites, (laughs) you guys, I did practice, (laughs) from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. I don't know if we can fathom what this meant for this woman. It means a lot in the world we live in today to be a widow or a single mother. There are few things as hard as that. There's a reason that we are called to care for them, the widows and the orphans. So here's Naomi, a widow. Here's her two daughters-in-law, widows. Here they are, with no one to care for them, no one to provide for them at all. This is a desperate situation in the worst possible way. So Naomi has the idea to return to Bethlehem, where they're from, where she's from. And she essentially tells the girls, I'm going to go, you Go back to your mother's homes. You go take care of yourselves. And the girls are like, no, no, we'll go with you. And she's like, no, this makes no sense for you to go with me. None. You take care of you. I'll figure something out for me. And there, Orpah kisses her mother-in-law goodbye, and she decides to stay. But Ruth clung to her. And it's, we pick up in verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Go do that. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. This form of loyalty is beautiful and just completely incomprehensible that she would choose 
to stay what probably felt like a death sentence. And that she would choose to take Naomi's God. So they go. Unmarried, foreign, hard trek. They go. They go to Israel. And it's the barley festival, which will become important. And they get to town, and the people say, could this be Naomi? And Naomi responds, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life bitter. No one can blame her for saying that. I don't know if you've ever looked at your life and gone, this is what God has given me. (laughs) This is what he's done for me. This is a situation I'm in. Call me bitter. Call me bitter. So the next thing they need to do is find food. So Ruth goes out to look for food. And she goes to the fields to glean the leftovers after, after the harvest. And so she's gleaning the field. And Boaz owns this field, and he's a relative of Naomi's, and he takes notice of her. And we see that he says this. Boaz says to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars. At this, she bowed down her face to the ground. Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you would notice me? And listen to what Boaz says. He says, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law and since the death of your husband, how you have left your father and your mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he steps in to protect her, to care for her, and to provide for her, and to watch over her. He shows generosity to the immigrant and to the poor. He is what Israel would call the family redeemer. They find out this is a cultural tradition. And so Naomi starts to get a pocket of hope inside of her. Hope as we lit the candle today. For the first time, she starts to wonder if maybe her situation could turn around. If maybe things could change. So she has a conversation with Ruth, and and Ruth goes to Boaz and asks if he will redeem Naomi's family and marry her. And he is astounded that she would put herself in the situation and ask. And he's, again, astounded at her care for Naomi, that she would do this. And they go to town, and there's another man that's a closer 
kinsman redeemer, but he does not want to marry Ruth. And so he gives that to Boaz, and, and Boaz is able to marry Ruth. And we pick up here in chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed, and he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. There's genealogy. There's genealogy. This story of Ruth and Boaz is the most incredible, beautiful illustration of God's redeeming love for us. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, so Jesus has redeemed us. He has paid the price for our sins and has brought us into his family. He provides for us. He protects us, and he promises us a future we could only dream about. The book of Ruth also reminds us of the importance of loyalty and faith. Ruth's loyalty to, to Naomi and, Na and her faith to God led her to a place of blessing. Similarly, our loyalty to God and our faith, he promises us, will lead to a place of blessing. And I don't mean that in a financial way or a materialistic way, but in a way of the peace of God that sets in us the hope that we can have, the joy that is not dependent on our circumstances. In the New Testament, we find the ultimate redemption story. Jesus, the Son of God, he comes to earth. He lives amongst, among us, and he died on the cross for our sins. He redeemed us not with money or property, but with his blood. Just as Ruth was a foreigner in Bethlehem, we were once foreigners to the promises of God. But Jesus brought us near through his sacrifice on the cross. Just as Boaz showed kindness to Ruth, Jesus shows us immeasurable kindness and grace. He sees our struggles. He sees your struggle. He knows what you are dealing with. He sees our pain. He knows your suffering. And yet he loves us. He provides for us. He protects us. And he promises us a future. Just as Boaz redeemed Ruth, Jesus redeems us. Boaz redeemed Ruth and made her his bride. Jesus redeemed us and made us part of his bride, the church. I don't mean that crossroads Christian fellowship. I mean church, the big C. I mean all the people of God. 
And he has promised to come back for us and take us to be with him forever. That is our living hope. And it is not just words. It is real. The redemption story of Boaz Boaz and Ruth points us to the greatest redemption story of all time. And that is God's unfailing love, his amazing grace, and his promise of eternal life. I want you to listen to this scripture with fresh ears and a fresh heart. For God so loved the world. He so loved the world, you guys. That he gave his one and only son. Take that in. That was not a light-hearted thing that he did. He knew what Jesus would go through. He understood the price. That whoever, whoever, there's no conditions. Whoever calls on the name of Jesus and believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, He was born, Jesus was born to be the Savior and Redeemer of all mankind. That's why he came. To save. To love. To show us what it means to be loved and to love others. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what you're struggling with. As I mentioned before, I I didn't tell my story to be a sense of shock, but also to be a sense of shock. Because it is the truth of what God has done and what he wants to do. Here's the thing. My life's not... The same as it was. But there's still things that need redeeming every day in my life. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to get ready to share communion. I thank God that I'm in a completely different place today than I was at 21 years old. But there's so many things that God wants to be redeeming, whether it's our marriage, our family relationships, our bad decisions, our addictions, our attitudes. I don't know what area of your life needs the gift of redemption today. Maybe you need your faith redeemed. 
Maybe you need your hope or your love. But as I said at the beginning, God is a redeemer, and he's continually redeeming. And maybe, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus, the redeemer. I want to invite you to take that step today. As we get ready to share in communion, we do this as a time to remember who he is and what he has done for each one of this. This is not some churchy type thing. This is meant to be a time of celebration for him going to the cross on yours and my behalf and also a time of introspection as we look at our lives and the reality of where and who we are. And so if you're not sure about Jesus, if you're not in that place, I invite you to just sit quietly and, and listen and, and think. If today you would like to give Jesus your yes in your life, then this is one of the best ways to say yes to him. Does anybody not have communion that needs it? Raise your hand. We have ushers in the back. Right back there, Susan. <clears throat> so if you want to take the little cracker out of the very thin top layer, On that night, Jesus was betrayed. He was sitting at the table with his disciples, and they broke bread, and this represents our bread. And He said, take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Go ahead and take. Then he took the cup and he said, take and drink. This is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Father God, as we receive communion today, we remember. We remember and we, Lord, we ask you to speak to us and show us, Lord, what you've redeemed in our life and what you're continuing to redeem. God, would you show us a picture of where you have sent your angels in our life? where you have provided for us, where you've been there with us when we were in the middle of the pit. We were never alone. You were there. You were pursuing us. You were calling for us. You were with us, Lord. 
and you have a story and a plan for each one of our lives, God. You have a story and a plan for us. Our name is written. God, would you speak to us now, Lord? And Lord, if there's anyone here that wants to give you your, their yes, Lord, I, we pray with them. We say yes to you, Jesus, again and again. You are faithful. You are true. You are worth everything. You change lives. You bring us from 2nd Street to 2nd Street, God. That's who you are. And so, Lord, as we close this time with you today, God, make yourself known to us as we worship your holy name. And friends, we're going to have prayer teams up here. So if you need prayer for anything, but especially if you want to give your yes to Jesus, please come up and allow us to pray with you and for you. Amen. <laughs>